Folks and welcome to Slash MLS Season Two, Episode Three. Um, I am, of course, Ian. Username Armascarhu. Um, we have Dennis joining us for the first time this year. Hi there, guys. Uh, my name is Dennis, and my username is Denmar. And I'm Josh, and my username is nine seven two two sevenist. I almost always almost get those numbers wrong. Like, <laughs> I want to say them out of order every time. <laughs> And I'm Pete, and I'm username Punk Rock Pete. All right, so I think we'll start today by talking about the big football match that happened this last weekend. I, of course, am talking about America versus South Korea, not that other random thing that happened on the gridiron, whatever that was. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what'd y'all think? America two, South Korea zero. MLS better than K League, obviously. We, what I'm getting from that, anyway. <laughs> that, would it, to, to whom would that be shocking news, though? Like, does it? Okay, actually, wait. Here's a better question. Does anybody know anything about the K League other than that it, it's in Korea? Because I, Some, I don't. This this one time when I was like 15 and I started playing FIFA and I wanted to beat all the leagues, I played the K League. <laughs> so that's that's what I know about them. That's dedication right there. So I've got a good I've got a good story. One time a guy uh, in my office and I were playing and I had oh Bayer Leverkusen or some German team and he picked a random K League team and he beat me and I threw the controller across the room because I was so mad. <laughs> and that's yeah. well. So my big takeaway from that was that Chris Wondolowski is a great goal poacher against lesser opposition. I just have an incredibly hard time seeing him doing that against a better team. And when there's more pressure on him, I I just don't see it happening. I know a lot of people were saying that they thought he should get called up to the national team and go to Brazil. I really don't. I really don't see him providing a whole lot for the. I, I wish that Wando had gotten some call-ups against those larger teams because I feel like he does get that, you know, brought against him every time. Oh, well, it was, you know, it was in the Gold Cup and they were lesser opponents. And then, you know, he steps it up a little bit more and scores again. And I agree with you, Josh. I, I, I do think that uh, in the end he's probably going to get left out for a good reason. But I feel well, who's, like... Who's he competing against? Is he competing against Eddie Johnson for that last striker spot, do you think? Maybe Mike McGee's in there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's valid. Um, and, you know, the, the argument against Eddie is going to be form and how does he play for D.C., but, I mean, the the end line is that Eddie has come up big in games against larger opponents. Yeah, he scored against Mexico. Yeah, exactly. He scored against Panama and Seattle. I mean, those those aren't you know, little moments by any means. And I he mean, can play in a couple different positions as well. I mean, you know, he's not like a natural winger or um, second striker, but Klinsman plays him outside of the forward, like, number nine position. He does pretty well at it. So I think that's another thing that Wando is not going to do. Wando is going to hang out in the box and, and poach chances, and, and we know, you that know that doesn't provide a lot of flexibility. 
Yeah, and Eddie has the ability to come on in the 75th minute and score goals against big opponents. He doesn't have to start to be an impact player, and I'm not sure that Wando can say that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I mean, I think Eddie Johnson's hold-up play is a little bit underrated. I know a lot of people like to piss on him for, I don't know, that one little spell in South Korea where he did step over, step over, back heel ball out of bounds, which was pretty funny, and I was at the, the soccer bar being like, go Eddie Johnson, oh, no. oh why Eddie? But, um, because I have to root for him now. But, um... <laughs> I am contractually obligated to like this man. <laughs> I mean, he might be the first DC United player to go to the World Cup since I think, uh, maybe 2000, 2002, maybe even 1998. So... Yeah, I mean, when back then in '98 they had like seven, so there's that. No, you're you're on the money. I mean, in Seattle we've made jokes for two years about you know stepovers into the corner, but the truth is he absolutely does have a great hold-up game. I mean, you know he can he can put his back to the goal and help his teammates out and do what he needs to do. So I I agree. I I think that. Wando, given an extra year of qualifying and the chance to play against some better sides, maybe he sneaks in, but he he doesn't have any time left. I also think we've seen him partner with Josie Altidore better than anyone, any other striker, not named Dempsey or Donovan. And I I think, you know, maybe one of those two plays in the striker position, but they haven't traditionally for Jurgen. So, I mean, in that Bosnia game, they had Eddie Johnson and Altidore up front and it was great, and they had that combo again in the Panama game, and it went well. I, I think that's what Klinsman likes the most so far, um, but, you know, we'll see. Other takeaways? Uh, something Alexi Lawless said that was really important sometime in, like, the 30th minute when Korea got this really good chance uh, streaking down the left side. You know, obviously the, the Korea finisher didn't finish it. He said... You know, Ghana finishes that, finishes that chance. Germany finishes that chance. Portugal finishes that chance, and that's important because three of those guys that played in that defense yesterday—Beezer, uh, Gonzalez, and I think Evans—yeah, three of those guys are probably going to be playing, if not starting, in the back line in the World Cup, and it's going to be extremely important for them to keep their form and keep people at, in front of them because speed might be an issue. You know, I'm—I am a huge Brad Evans fan, being. You know, representing the Sounders, but I'm exactly obligated. Exactly, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, honestly, everyone has come around to Brad Evans. Brad Evans kind of got shit on a lot uh, before last year, even by Sounders fans, the majority of them. Uh, the thing about Brad Evans is that he is—he has an incredibly high soccer IQ. He's not the most athletic guy on the field, um, and he's not the most technical player on the field, but he. He's a general. He sees the game, and I'm not sure that right back is really the place where that skill comes in the most. And he's clearly a competent right back. I mean, the the opinion is that you know the spot is his to lose as of right now. But even as a fan, I I too am concerned against sides like Ghana, Portugal, and Germany that uh, you right. know Brad Evans might not have what it takes on the left side for striking. So I'm wondering why Brad Evans and why not Jeff Cameron. Klinsman keeps playing Jeff Cameron in that central defensive central midfielder role, like alongside Bradley, or behind Bradley even, or or next to Beckerman or whatever. But Cameron starts at right back for Stoke in the EPL, and Evans doesn't start for right back. I mean, he starts for the Sounders, but not there. What's going on there? I don't know. Klinsman uh, is difficult to guess sometimes. I mean, I know that he likes players like Evans. He likes, you know 
he likes high IQ guys, but mm-hmm. I, I have to agree with you. I mean, Evans is a great midfielder for the Sounders. He is, you know, the quintessential utility player in the midfield. If you need him to attack and, you know, help with linkage, he can do that. If you need him to sit back with Ozzy Alonso and, and, you know, play a more defensive role, he can do that as well. And he does slot in at right back in times of great need and serious emergency, but it's by no means his natural position. Well, do you think he wants to play him in sort of a role that, and I know this isn't like the quintessential example, but the one that comes best to my head is in 2012 when DC was good. We used Nahar as the right back to someone to push forward. Do you think Evans serves that role? And do you think Yedlin, who came on for him, serves that role even better? I think Yedlin uh, serves that role better because he's he's a lot faster, um, and he can, you know, he he can move a lot more, he can cover a lot more ground along the right sideline. But you know, I th- I think the thing about Jeff Cameron that I really like is that he's a solid. You know, he, he's a very solid defender, he's competent, he's comfortable, he's playing against really good players week in, week out. And he's also got pretty good service into the box. I mean, it, you know, I've seen him put a couple of really beautiful crosses in, and I think that's something that, you know, we're probably going to be reliant against Ghana, Germany, Portugal on, you know, somebody just catching a defender unaware and Eddie Johnson catching a defender unaware and getting up over on top of them and, and getting a goal or getting something out of a ball pinging off around in the box, you know, from a sharp cross that catches people unaware. So I I would like to see somebody like Jeff Cameron. I think Yedlin, I mean, the thing about him is that he's so incredibly fast, but he's not, he, he's he's great on a, a as a, as a, as a pure wingback, you know, somebody who doesn't have a huge amount of dispenser responsibility, somebody who's always got someone who can come in cover for him. I don't know if we have the formation to cover for him when he bombs forward. Even though he can get back really quickly, he's still, at least, you know, in the, in the bit that I've seen him, and Pete's going to have seen him a lot more than me, but he always looked like somebody who was a little uncomfortable with defensive responsibilities. He was fine being there, and he was, he was great on cover, but you know, going in on tackle on guys, or you know, really breaking up a pass, breaking up passing lanes and that stuff. He always, I mean, he's young, so it doesn't like a huge flaw or a shock. But I, I think he's too young to be a right back if you're going to have a, a, a four-man back line. Yeah, you're right on target. I mean, at the beginning of the season uh, last year, DeAndre Yedlin does not start for the Sounders if he's not so speedy. You know, in the early part of the season, he absolutely did not look comfortable defensively, and he was only able to play that position because he had the just ridiculous speed to make up for mistakes. And against quality, you know, World Cup teams, that's not enough. Now, DeAndre Yedlin starts it right back in four years. I will gladly make that prediction today that he will be the U.S. starting right back in four years because he's even in the conversation today, you know, barring horrific injury or you know, a fall from grace. There's there's no reason to think that he's not the future at that position. But, again, as a huge DeAndre Yedlin fan, I don't see it. You know, um, he, he has incredible speed. Uh, by the end of the year, his defensive positioning and, you know, thought process was certainly uh, passable as opposed to scary. And uh, his crosses especially got better. That was something that I really wanted to see out of him. And by the end of the season, I felt that, you know, his his balls into the box for, you know, the kind of guy who needs to get forward. He can't just get forward. He has to be able to, you know, give some good service. And, and the, all those pieces are coming together. But, again, 
you know, if it was 2013 and we were in this position now, he might have a chance to steal that position, but I, I just don't see it this year. That's fair. Well, let's quit talking about the national team for now. Their next game's in March in Ukraine, which may or may not happen depending on, you know, the protests that seem to be happening over there. Ukraine uh, continues to yeah, exist. Um, That's mean. But, yeah, it, it is. You not um, say Ukraine weak. oh my god all right let's 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 move on to this next thing on the list uh the impending miami whatever they're going to call themselves announcement miami beckham lebron united fc fusion fusion go fusion bring it back Uh, i would love that That, that's one of my all-time favorite logos that old fusion logo I have to look this up now because I don't. I can't. What What are the odds on the fusion? I I think that's highly unlikely. Probably like one percent. Oh my yeah. god! And that's you optimistic. like that? You, Ian, what I love about you is that you fessed up to liking the crew logo and now the Miami Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the crew logo. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna conclude that you are color and shape blind. <laughs> All right. Well. Be that as it may, um, we're getting a new, another glamour team, one that's going to pair with New York City, and I guess hopefully this this podcast goes out on Tuesday, so the day before the announcement, so we can talk about it and people and people won't be like, what this already happened. Anyway, so how do you guys feel about new glamour team LeBron Beckham, Miami, probably stadium eventually next to the Heat Arena? That people like to leave in the last thirty seconds of Game Six. Well, what, what's what do you guys how do you guys feel about this? You know, the traffic there is really bad. In, in those, yeah. In of those. Or, well, I'm really curious to see how the league balances the concerns of the more um, middle class of the league, as you would call teams like, um, you know, Colorado, Dallas, um, Chicago. Um, Houston could even be considered in there, um, San Jose, etc. You know, teams that don't have a huge amount of money are doing okay in their in their markets, um, but you know, aren't about to uh, aren't about to have a lot of money to to splash on high profile designated players, and you know, they might have a little trouble filling a stadium. Um, San Jose, I think it's unfair to put them in that because I I imagine they'll be doing very well, but in the heartland, it's a little bit rougher for a variety of reasons. So, I'm really curious to see how they try and balance the concerns of those teams with the concerns of owners who are coming in and want an opportunity to make a splash in their market, which is expecting a lot of them. Um, I, I don't know how it's. I don't. I honestly have no idea how they're going to balance that. Um, I can't predict where the market's going to go for MLS soccer around the country. You know whether it's a new television contract. You know we we know that we know the the deal of what the TV contract's going to look like. So right. you know it's not like there's some you know magical pot of TV money coming from somewhere else. But you know. It, it's going to be tricky. I mean, it's going to be very, very tricky to keep... You, you can see how the Man City ownership group thinks and what they want out of their team when you look at Manchester City. And watching the way they run roughshod over the English Premier League, with the exception of Chelsea today, I mean, but they've just been tearing people apart. And, you yeah, know, you, they're going to want the same thing in New York. I'm curious to see. I, I have no idea what's going to... It's going to be challenging. I think it'll be, it'll be Donnie Soccer's great, great... Um, It'll be either be his Waterloo or his not the other Waterloo, the Waterloo for Wellington. <laughs> the Waterloo was good for somebody. So yeah, someone won that battle. Yeah. Uh, 
Right. If 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 it fails in the southeast twice, I mean that's that's bad on the league for sure. Well, yeah. Orlando's not going to fail. I, I, we're pretty confident in that, right? That's I'm, that's not going to fail. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, I think. Other than, yeah. But Orlando is going to be even if they sign Kaká, they're still going to. They're not going to be. They're not going to be NYCFC. Yeah. Yep. They're they're not going to be one of the the glamour teams, and I guess I, I think. So I counted this today. I think this will put us up to six glamour teams out of the 22. And by glamour, I mean uh, attracts pretty players, can spend a lot of money, uh, can't spend that much money because of the salary cap, but can spend as much as you know Garber lets them. Yeah, I think I think you're you're sort of right on, Josh. Is how does MLS deal with that plus the fact of you know, all these small market teams, are we going to stop seeing SKC versus RSL in the MLS Cup final? I mean, I hope not. I think what I'd like to see happen, and we I think we discussed this like a week ago or two weeks ago, is some sort of salary cap luxury tax thing where, yeah, you can buy stars and that will help, but you can also be smart like Memphis and San Antonio in the NBA or like Kansas City and Salt Lake here and still build a really good roster with a limited amount of money or not a limited amount, but at least a similar amount and the fact that there's only three dp spots now i mean three players can only do so much on a on a soccer field when there's 22 so well and i mean how much how much of it is a marketing standpoint for the league i mean we all know that the year following the world cup is a huge bump in you know right. american soccer interest which is going to you know coincide nicely with uh, two expansion teams uh like you said uh, nycfc and you know, or a three, I guess, depending on what the the expected date for Miami would be. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking 2016. I, I don't think. I, I would think so. Uh, it, it seemed kind of silly to put three in 2015, but you never know. Uh, I, I expect 2016, but we might be wrong tomorrow. I mean, if so. we do three, it's it's at least balanced conferences. <clears throat> that expansion draft would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that, what I was thinking of. That would be brutal. Draft. Oh my god. And that'd be especially tough for teams like Portland, who've got amazing depth and no real star players, you know? Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I guess that's the thing is that, you know, it it hits every... It makes it makes depth more important because you can't lose... You know, you, you can't have, um, you know, a couple designated players and then a few, like, two or three people who are really propping them up and then nobody else in there. I mean... That's... But if, if I understand the rules correctly on those expansions, assuming that they don't change, uh, teams that have three DPs and Generation Adidas players and homegrown players are going to be able to protect a significant amount more than a team that has a single DP and doesn't have any Generation Adidas and doesn't have, you know... Yeah, you can protect all your DPs, you can protect all your homegrowns, you can protect all your GAs. Plus 11, um, right? Plus, plus 10 or 11 more, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. teams like Seattle that are running three DPs and, you know, Generation Adidas, and they're running homegrown player DeAndre Yedlin. I mean, that's right. already a whole bunch of free protection plus 11, as opposed to, I don't know, San Jose. You know, and not to mention, uh, Orlando, they'll probably, you know, care a lot about the expansion draft just because, but you, you can't figure that New York City is going to rely on the expansion draft. I mean, they'll rely on them for their their bench and depth, but that's not where they're getting the bulk of their, their talent, in, in their minds at least, I presume. So here's my fear, is that teams like New York City, teams like Miami, these these other 
glamour teams or whatever you want to call them, like New York and like the Red Bulls and the Galaxy and and Seattle and probably by the time Miami comes into the league, TFC will be among those. Of those teams that already exist, they don't really need to be good. Like MLS doesn't need to help them be good for them to have a solid fans support, fan base or support or whatever. I don't think that's the case with New York City and Miami. They might need some help to be good in order to attract a fan base, at least at first. And mm-hmm. that is a significant concern, I think. And my my initial gut reaction is that if you took the average American who is going to get into you know the MLS based on the World Cup, and and you put NYCFC side by side with Miami, I mean in my mind. Miami is the more attractive national team because of the star power that, you know, we, we see it as, well, of course, it's Man City that's, you know, linked, but to a non-soccer fan, what does that mean? Or are they going to be paying attention to LeBron and Beckham? So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that marketing goes in the league as far as glamour teams. Well, what might be more important than Beckham and LeBron will be the players they can grab who have who would have been playing in the World Cup or did play right. in the World Cup in 2014 and are now playing in MLS. I think that's a big, important thing that MLS needs to strive for is to get players that are going to be featured in the World Cup that's watched, watched by the most Americans in history yeah. and be able to watch those players on an everyday, every week basis in MLS. Mm-hmm. Fully agree. Yeah. I also think that, you know, that's going to do a lot for people who are, that's going to do a lot for television attendance. It might do it. I mean, it might do something for for their local attendance, but it's also, I'm really curious to see how those teams are going to attract people to fill the stadium because watching a game in a half full stadium is a, is a, is not a good advertisement Mm -hmm. for the league and it's not a good advertisement for a team. And I think that, you know, I'm curious to see what they do in terms of trying to get people into the stadium and, and to make an atmosphere. I mean, teams that can consistently do that, um, it, it's attractive to a viewer. It's attractive to a potential attendee. Um, you know, players, the prestige of a team, I think players play a lot of lip service to it, you know, but and the atmosphere and the support and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, players go where there's money to be. Um, you know, you didn't see all those Dortmund players sticking around for arguably the most impressive atmosphere in Europe. You know, they they went to Munich where they could get more money, and I, and I think that right. same is going to be true for a lot of players. But in terms of getting people to show up and getting people to care and getting people to tune in on a regular basis, follow the team, it's a lot of it's going to come. I mean, getting people to tune in, you want marquee names, but getting people to actually show up and care and 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 be involved in, in a uh, in a way that is, um, I feel odd saying this, but marketable um, is a uh, you know that, that's there. You've got to do something to get people to come in and care. Year one is easy, right? Year one's always going to be the easiest to fill the seats. Everybody will be curious. Hey, there's new this, there's this new team in town. Let's go check this out. Hmm. But year two, year three, year four, especially if your team's not doing so well, what happens? This is a long term that I'm more concerned about. Because mm-hmm. I think during the first year, it's going to be very, very easy to fill the seats. Maybe not towards the end of the year, but I think at the beginning, we'll see pretty full stadiums. Okay. And then we'll see what happens, you know, with the results. If you look at, for example, with the Toronto FC, I don't think if they poured in a lot of money in this year, you'd be seeing many people at the stadium next year, you know? And that's where it comes down to is teams like NYC and teams like uh, Miami, 
might be able to support themselves that way. But I look at Orlando and I think, okay, year one, good. Year two, year three, where are we at? Mm. Well, Toronto is kind of weird because y'all sort of had a historic run of incompetence. <laughs> well, then you can see where my opinion is formed from, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, but even even then, I mean, just that little bit of hope. I, I mean, what are you expecting for? And I guess we we can segue now into Toronto's preview a little bit. Um, what are you expecting from a fan support level? I mean, it's it seems like it's going to be pretty well attended, maybe even sold out most of the year, right? Yeah, um, I'm surprised. There's, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a supporter myself, and I look at the banner sign, uh, the banner paintings, and everything, and there's a lot more activity than there was. I mean, a year ago, six months ago, two years ago, it's it's absolutely crazy. I had trouble last year bringing friends to the stadium. I went to like three, four matches last year. I went alone because nobody wanted to go with me. I wanted to go, so I went, and I yeah. sat there. But now people want to go. They're asking me, "Hey, when when can we go to a match?" You know, and it's it's all around the excitement of the players. Now, we'll see what the results will be like with Nelson. He's a bit of an ex- inexperienced coach, but with all the money spent, people are expecting to get into the playoffs at the very least. And so we'll see. Does that happen? Does that not? I mean, I'd be kind of surprised if it didn't. But, I mean, I've heard some fans, and I'm not I'm not including myself in this, that say, TFC, you're going to win the MLS Cup. Well, <laughs> we'll see. So, I mean, there's a broad spectrum of what's going on in terms of support in the city, but the number one thing is the support is back. I mean, the stadium is going to be filled. You'll see the first home game on March 22nd. I think there's going to be sold out for sure. And then, again, the test will come again, like I said. You know, three, four months down the line, we'll see what's happening with the results and everything and with the support. But I think for the first few weeks, we'll be okay. And as long as the foreign office is smart enough to maintain that level of enthusiasm and can reciprocate that onto the field, then I think we'll be okay. So when we talk Toronto here, obviously the, the big news is Defoe and, and, and Bradley and all those mm-hmm. signings. How do, you, how do you see those guys fitting into the 11? Oh, it's, it's crazy because it's like the revolving door at Toronto FC continues. I mean, constantly players in and out. It's been kind of hard to keep track of a starting 11 over the last two years. But finally, we're seeing something solid and we're seeing positions that you know, this player is going to take this for sure, and this player is going to take that. And, I mean, we even have uh, restored the burnt bridges with D-Roll, right? I mean, that's absolutely <laughs> crazy. I, I, I mean, it's the front office has shown that they've changed, right? And right. Uh, with all the different additions just coming in from December, you know, with Jackson and Gilberto, that was already, we're okay. This is great. This is already great progress. But then when you bring in Bradley and the foe, well, it's it's hard to keep in the negative. You got to look at the positive. We got something going on this year, I think, and it's not going to be easy. And I don't want to say that because it won't be, but it's going to be fun. And it hasn't been fun for the last couple of years, and I'm looking forward to it being fun again because, I mean, that's what it's about, right? If you're not having a good time, why are you there? <laughs> so that's what it is. Now, here's the thing, though: is uh, Argos. We have a football team in our Canadian Football League here up here in Canada. And uh, they're talking about coming into the stadium. Before we had the Foe and Bradley, every supporter I talked to said, no, Argos at BMO Field, not going to happen ever. We're not going to let this happen. And now with these signings, you're seeing it's, it's kind of hard for some of the supporters to say no. I still don't want them to come, but, I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen? So it's interesting. It's a very interesting time to be a TFC fan. And it's going to so be a very interesting year. Would they be would they be letting them <clears throat> use the field to 
offset the price and salary of well, they, they, what, what are they, they, what do they have haven't to... really come out and said that, but I okay. mean, I think they want to host a couple more events there and generate some more revenue at BMO Field. They're talking about bringing the NHL Winter Classic when mm. you know in the winter when the stadium's not being used, and That'd obviously nice. CFL games would bring in more money. So they're talking about doing an expansion up to thirty thousand. There's no architecture drawings, nothing like that. It's very very early on. But mm -hmm. these are the beginning whispers of something that you know might happen. You might see 120 million dollars poured into the stadium in the next couple of years, and mm -hmm. there'll be like a two two season kind of construction. They're saying they're hinting at you, right? But like I'm wow. saying is the supporters were really against it, and now that yeah. the front office has changed and shown that you know, okay, we got the good head back on the shoulders when we're not total idiots anymore, and <laughs> people are starting to open up and thinking. So some supporters are saying, okay, I still say I don't know because it's it's still up in the air. Who knows yeah. until we get an actual solid concrete plan? Then I think it's a better time to make a decision. Yeah. But some people, even just with these little whispers, are they're ready to go to war over this, you know? So, <laughs> so tell tell us more about. Um... Tell us more about Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's going to happen to Lava? What's going to happen to Mathias Lava? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, the club says if they can keep him, they could find a way and you know work out something with Garber. You know, I don't know why. I feel like if you have to say maybe we could work out something with Garber, <laughs> you're not going to work something out with Garber. You're going to work something out with him. Like nobody would ever know that you ever had a problem. Yeah, it would have been like, oh yes, Toronto has three DPS. <laughs> There's a, a new special, rule today. Yeah, there's a, yeah, added there the be a new rule, rule announcement. Yeah, it would be an so. extra special designated <laughs> young impact. Player. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, it's, it's hard to say. I can't. I want to keep him. He, he's shown a lot of great promise. But at this point, um, I'd be sad to see him go, but I'd still be confident in the team that we have. I wouldn't be so pissed as I would have been maybe two, three months ago, you know. You guys could loan him to Vancouver. They're kind of hurting. Yeah, that that would be good. Can use <laughs> Vancouver hasn't been making many moves this season, have they? Or off no. season, I mean, right? Yeah. So. Well, they they made one, but it it was sort of the. <laughs> <first>. <laughs> I, I think I think that was a move made on them. I don't know that that was the main move. Well, okay. In Vancouver's defense, they did just get uh, Beta Shore, who yep. was yeah, yeah. an MLS All Star <laughs> defender he's, who's good. This yeah, is he's true. Gonna, good. He's very. He's gonna play in the World Cup, so. You know. yeah. But yeah, uh, I I want to I want to hear more about the 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 like the predictions of Toronto. Like They're if, all you, were, over if the board. you were a betting man, if I was a betting man, I would bet that they get in get into the playoffs. I'd okay. say you'd see a fourth or fifth spot, and where it goes from there, I think it would come down to injuries, and we'll see with uh, the Foles age, and you know some of the other players out there, some of the older guys. How they fare out through you know the entire season. It's a long season. There's a lot of travel. A lot of things can happen, right? You're playing mm -hmm. on somewhat artificial turf. I don't know if we'll see you know Defoe or Bradley playing at Seattle, for example. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But Toronto has a history of injury there, so they're kind of right. They don't want to bring too many good players out there and you know squander what they've just built. Yeah. So, like I said, it's it's a long season. It's very early. If I was a betting man, I'd bet. I'd make a conservative bet, <laughs> and I would say they would go. They would make the playoffs. I hope they do better. Okay. You know, I want them to do better. But um, I think at the very minimum, you're looking at a you know fourth or fifth playoff spot. So I'm gonna be a little more optimistic, 
and I'm going to go ahead and pencil in Toronto versus DC Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> the bottom two of the East now, you know, at the top. I like that. Wait, so wait, who's that? That's that's you being optimistic. You're not being optimistic for Toronto. You're being really optimistic for DC. That's that's more stretch for DC. <laughs> Just pointing, oh, pointing out the obvious. I think DC, DC versus Toronto in the play-in round is is a good goal for you. Yeah, isn't that yes. isn't that what I said? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love to be more optimistic, but after so many years of you know, I'm still there. I'm still a season seat holder. I'm I'm there. Like I said, I go to games alone. So I mean, I I love it, no. but. At the same time, you know, like, you can only get your ass kicked so much before you start to, you know, be a little bit pessimistic. So that's why I'm kind of, I don't want to jinx it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I don't want to say something and then, like, oh, shit, that, that didn't happen, did it? <laughs> See, okay. And then last year, my prediction was that Chivos would make the playoffs, so yeah, let's, no, let's not be making crazy. <laughs> really didn't happen. No. Nope. I, I predicted that, too. I picked that, too. Yeah. I, I, I stand by that. <laughs> that that one day she just will make the playoffs this year too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well the yeah. first the first eight weeks of the season last year it certainly yeah, looked they like looked that good. was possible. Yeah. Yeah. They looked good. And then they they fired uh, Chelis and then everyone was sad. Yeah. And yeah. then we flew Dumpster a fire. Yeah. Then yeah. we then we flew a banner over their stadium. And, uh, <laughs> 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 that was fantastic. It went worse. Um. FC Dallas time. FC Dallas time. FC Let's Dallas do time. it. I've got the. I've got my. I've got my FC Dallas. Um, FC Dallas review that I put up here. So yeah, speaking of teams that started very very brightly, and finished not so good. Um, just a quick 2013 recap for Dallas. They. Um, I knew they were doing well, but I went back and looked at the numbers really quick. On May 25th, they were eight three and two. They were top of the West. They were really really good. From June to September, they were 1-7-5. And, um, and the second half of the season, they had three wins, uh, two of which were against Chivas, which is not so good. Um, so uh, Dallas had a couple key changes. They got rid of David Ferreira, who was the 2010 MLS MVP, had not been playing particularly well. Um, he was on 300-something-ish thousand dollars. Uh, getting rid of him freed up a lot Space for them to bring in someone new. They got rid of Kenny Cooper, who they traded for Adam Moffitt um, with Seattle. Okay, I, I have to ask, how is Kenny Cooper on a new team every year? I feel like he's not. <laughs> I, he's not that bad. I watched him. He's, but he's not that. He's not that good. Here's so here's the thing with Kenny Cooper. Kenny Cooper took I just because I looked up all these numbers. Kenny Cooper took 28 shots on goal last year and scored six goals. Their highest goal scorer, um, Blas Perez, took. 19, no, 20 shots on goal and scored 11 goals. I mean, okay. like, you've got, I mean, and the other thing about Coop is that he is very, very, very streaky. He'll go on a, he'll go on a run and then, and he'll look great. And he'll, uh, at some point, randomly, um, go off of his run and then just start flopping around in the box and generally be a demoralizing spearhead with which to attack the goal. I mean, Dallas, I, they had a couple of things go wrong for him, but one of them was that their their attack was a guy who had no confidence and was falling down all the time, and then another guy, David Ferreira, who was 34 and just could not be bothered to run or 
do any pressing, any movement, I mean, do anything other than occasionally look for a glamour pass. So, I, you know, I, Kenny, Kenny Cooper is not bad. He's, he, he goes in streaks and, and plays very, very well. And he goes in streaks and plays abysmally. And I think it's something that a lot of teams have said, well, he's not bad, but for the money that you have to put out for a you know, starting striker, he's just he's yeah. not worth it because he doesn't bring much to the game other than the ability. I mean, he's a big guy, but he's not a target man. Um, he's more of a, of a pure goal poacher. He's not great in the air either for a big guy. You know, he's not particularly fast. He's, he's, got, he's got a lot going against him. He's a great goal poacher, as you saw with New York, but he, you know... It, now, when, when you say that, I guess it makes sense. When you say things like, he scored six goals on 28 shots, my prevailing memory of Kenny Cooper is his penalty getting saved by Joe Willis in that playoff game, so I guess, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I can't um, tell you the uh, confidence you're inspiring me right now. Oh, man. You know, he, he, I, oh, yes. I watched him play for Portland in 2011. He, you know... He he off the field he is apparently the nicest guy. On the field he is uh, occasionally brilliant, largely ineffective and you know doesn't bring a great deal to a team. This could be his year to turn it around. I you know again I'm, like everybody I've talked to who's ever met him said that he is just like the sweetest, friendliest guy. So I I wish him all the best. But um, anyway, sorry, back to Dallas. Um, back to Dallas. So, um, yeah, David Ferreira, Jackson, Kenny Cooper. That was most of their attack. What they're left with is Fabian Castillo and Blas Perez. Blas Perez had a good year. Fabian Castillo, I think, this year is, is going to be his breakout year, and I would be surprised if he's not an MLS All-Star. Um, wow. Their other glimmer of hope is George John, who, for my money, is, is one of the best defenders in MLS. He's a very unsung guy, but he... Is solid and his uh, being injured through the summer coincided very neatly with Dallas's abysmal run. Um, I think he's a really key part of their team. Um, so the keys for Dallas this year are going to be stay healthy, don't let George uh, George John get injured, um, keep Fabian Castillo developing and looking good. Mauro Diaz also, they've got a young designated player named Mauro Diaz who is I think also very promising. Um, they have the parts potentially to be a solid team, but they're very, very thin. They've gotten rid of a bunch of people, and they haven't brought in much. I think they're going to rely on their younger players. Um, Castillo, Diaz are both pretty young. George John is experienced, um, but you know he's nothing really flashy. Um, Blas Perez, Panamanian striker, is I mean he's a, he's a good, serviceable, solid player, um, but they don't have much else, and they haven't brought in anybody. So I think. Oscar Perea is going to have a is going to have a very hard time. He did a good good job last year with Colorado with a young team. Actually, I mean, he did a great job with the injuries and the young team that he had. Um, but I I just don't see them getting all that far because they don't have enough depth. Um, Josh is uh, is Michelle still there? Because the thing was, when, when Dallas was on that fantastic run in the beginning of the season... He is still there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kid was playing great. And by the end of the season, when they were playing terribly, he was fighting for minutes. Now, mm -hmm. as someone who didn't follow Dallas that close, I don't, I don't know what happened there, but it seemed like he was going to be a star for them halfway through the season and then just wasn't. Yeah. He... Um... I mean, I remember seeing him when Portland played him, and he looked. Yeah, he was great. he was scoring set piece yeah. goals, and he had great service in the box, and like then he just wasn't playing anymore. Yeah, 
You know, I, I did not watch enough Dallas to know exactly what went wrong with them last year, um, other than I know that they had some key injuries and that um, Ferreira, their captain, was just, like, pointedly unmotivated. I mean, I remember watching him yeah. at Portland thinking, wow, that guy just does not want to be out there, does he? He's just not at all, you know, bothered by the game going on around him. Um uh, so yeah, maybe maybe Michelle Obion, maybe Javon Watson will have a less abysmal year. Um, you know, he I think he's somebody who people like to hope will will come good at some point. But um, Dallas player, I mean Dallas fans like to really rip on him as being particularly ineffectual along the wing and and never closing anybody down, never never. You know, fighting for any fighting for a second ball. I thought last year Dallas were going to do a lot better than they did because they had what on paper looked like a really intimidating attack. They had Eric Hasley before. You know, he also seemed to just completely fall out of form. Kenny Cooper, David Ferreira was, you know, not. David Ferreira was still looking like somebody who might want to actually play a game. Um, and uh, it it just didn't seem to work out for him because of injuries and because of players just completely going off. You know, particularly in the midfield and defense, they they looked really really weak. And I don't I mean from everything that I can see, I don't see much evidence that they've done a lot to reinforce their real weak spots. I've gotten rid of some bad you know bad influence and a lot of dead weight salary cap wise in David Ferreira and changed up their attack with Kenny Cooper. But you know I I don't I don't see him finding the leadership that they need, and I don't see him having the depth to make it all the way through the season, especially when Blas Perez, you know I mean, sorry, especially if something happens to Blas Perez, they really don't have anybody up front. So. Now, you talked about dead spots. I think you could argue they did do something about one of their dead spots at the head coaching position. Yes, they did. <laughs> Heinemann was, well, he didn't inspire much confidence in um, There was a in lot the of talk baseball. just like, how, just like how terrible of a human he was. I mean, it's probably mostly <laughs> or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. I, I shouldn't. You know, I don't want to speculate on what the guy was like. But it was true that he fell out with a lot of players, and when they and when he fell out with them, you know, he would just sit people on the bench for long periods of time, not looking to trade them, not looking to. I mean, the same that happened with Breck Shea, who was admittedly a challenging case, but he seems to be doing fine now that he's over in England. Um, but also, tactically, Hinman was very, very inflexible. He made really weird substitutions. There was one game where, um, I can't remember who they were playing, but I was watching. They were down 2 they were down two nothing, and he subbed uh, an attacking midfielder for a defender. And you're just like, wait, what, like, what are you trying to do? Like, why, why would you ever do that? Um... So, yeah, I think Oscar Perez is going to be a much better coach. And given that they've got some very talented young players um, that he could potentially build a core around, we could see them come good. But I don't, I don't think that this year is going to be that year. Especially yeah, they do, they do have some midfield depth. Um, yeah, in, in the West in particular. Um, they do have some midfield depth. If they use their depth really smartly, if they're very lucky with no injuries, if none of their players get hit with beer cans thrown by their own fans, <laughs> maybe this year they'll, they'll 
nip somebody to that fifth spot and and get into the playoffs, but I I really doubt it. I think this is more of a rebuilding year for them, and and it's good that they got Oscar Pereja in there because he is he is a very good coach, and I think um, we could see them come good next year, not this year. I did I did want to talk about Hinkley's AMA a little bit, especially my one day flare switch, which was. A lot of fun. Flare bets should be a thing on RMLS. I don't understand why they're not. It was... I have suggested that like three different times <laughs> and was met with a resounding set of downs. Oh, I'm so surprised. <laughs> because I, I, I frequent our hockey, and I think that flare bets are fun. It's you know it, it's harmful to no one, and it's, yeah. it's a good bit of rivalry because when Cascadia Cup matches roll around, I promise there's nothing that I want less than having the Timbers flare for a week. Yeah. But it just, it's that much more fun, you know? It, it was really cool to see, like, the Rapids logo next to my name just for that day. Because, <laughs> first, well, because first of all, it felt like I was a winner. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, this is what the playoffs are like? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, and just because, you know, it's it, it gets boring after a while just to see, oh, DC United crest next to my name, whatever. It's there all the time. You know, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you can you can just change that literally anytime. You can go Railhawks? Railhawks it, you know. I, I did. I, I Railhawks did for a good part of the last season while we were still alive okay. in the U.S. Open Cup, so um, yeah, Tim Hinckley's cool. He's, he actually, it was a really entertaining AMA. Um, I was not expecting that. Most executives, they come on, they do AMAs, and uh, it's Boring, or you know whose AMA was boring? Taylor Tolman's AMA was boring. Oh, no oh, way, boy. really? <laughs> <laughs> he, says, he says he says bizarre, interesting things on TV. Why didn't whatever? But yeah. he answered all the questions. He even answered the one about weed, which was awesome. Yeah, and it's why I switched my flair in the first place. I was like, man, wow. if he even if he if he answers this, <laughs> well, because I responded, I was like, if he even answers this, I'll I'll be a Rapids fan for like a day. And then he did. And then Rapids fans were like, change the flair, change. The flare. I'm like, fine, fine. If I he recall, did. he he even commented directly to you and said, let's see you in Burgundy. He did. I don't remember Burgundy. I was hoping I was hoping to capitalize on that and hope I was hoping they'd send me a scarf, but that didn't. <laughs> so. No, I fully agree. I feel time. like we we get so so many AMAs that are through the filter of some PR yes. rep who said, "Hey, Reddit's a great social media platform. Yeah. Let's yeah. get you on there, and they'll ask you some questions, and we can talk about Rampart." Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. just. Yeah. Well, our latest market research shows that our you know target demographic yeah. is so and so, and therefore we should, and then they just come into an AMA. I mean, to, to MLS's credit, I think that they have been pretty on top of the Reddit thing. You know, we've got the mm-hmm. digital media guys. You know, we've got Matt Doyle. We, we've got quite a few uh, in the know, tech savvy guys that are are kind of aware. And I don't feel, and you can you can disagree with me, but I don't feel like we're being talked down to for the most part. I mm-hmm. feel like we're being engaged on a good level. Well, and that's that's demographic, you know. Where it, it a lot of MLS fans are young, tech savvy people, 
a lot of whom are likely to be on Reddit. Well, you know, um, as far as the Hinkley thing goes, uh, I personally, since since we just talked about this on the last podcast, and you know, I went on that field report out to Colorado Springs so that I could be there for the announcement. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> I thought it was uh, I thought it was really interesting how clear of a line he drew that uh, they would have nothing to do with the switchbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was pretty adamant. He was like, "We have nothing to do with that club," and I'm like, "That's odd." Like, and you, I think not... I think. I think they even made a press statement about it, a very brief press statement that they the official line is that they will have nothing to do with the club. Do you think that's because they had some plan of their own in the works that, you know, wasn't far enough along for them to announce? It has to be. It has to be something that was... It seemed like they were really like... No, we've got. No, I don't know those guys. I mean, it was really very, very pointed. So well, and we've seen we've seen what happened with Sac Republic. So do we want to yeah. end up having Colorado Rapids uh, with two different, you know, uh, affiliations rather than one lower level that has two different MLS teams? Like, are they gonna? You know, I, I think that it's probably exactly what you said. It has to be something in the background that we don't know about. And you know maybe it's it's going to be uh, another team. Maybe they're going to do their own thing, like the Galaxy. Uh, not sure. Well, I've got this. I've got this feeling now with the Sacramento thing. Now that LA's done what they're going to do, that Portland's like, oh wait, we can do that. Oh well, let's just go ahead and do that, and that'll happen. Maybe y'all will be affiliated with Sacramento for like a year, and then y'all will make Portland too, and then everyone will be happy, and then... That yeah. seems likely. That seems likely, yeah, thanks to uh, the LA Samsung Galaxy 2. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't take credit for that. Somebody on Reddit's cleverer than I am, but I thought it was hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> should bring that guy yeah. on. Just, I don't know. <laughs> Tell us your joke again. God, I've been replaced already. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I mean, lower lower league talk, I believe, uh, Ian, that we have somebody. Oh, yeah. Segway time. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we talked to, <laughs> or are going to talk to in terms of <laughs> later in the podcast, but it happened last week. Smooth. Um, so smooth. <laughs> Love it. Aaron Flynn, otherwise known as Timber Flynn, on Reddit, on RMLS and RNASL Soccer. He's been doing his own uh, redesigns of NASL teams. He's also a mod of RNASL Soccer. He's big into lower leagues, also big into the Timbers. He's got like a thousand Portland Timber scarves, every single one ever made in existence, even when they were in the 70s. Anyway... Uh, his Twitter handle is at Timber Flynn, and or no, it's not. It's at Aaron Flynn. This is the interview that I did with him. Are here with you, Timber Flynn. He is a mod and I think the creator of RNASL Soccer, um, and also a huge Timbers fan. So, uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm actually not the creator. I just joined up. As, I asked to be a mod when there's only six people, and I kind of slowly made it what it was, and then the Munjor came on, and he helped me out a lot, making it, you know, what it is now, so <laughs> you'll see a lot of the posts on RNASL soccer right now are me doing jersey redesigns, and so. Yeah, you're sort of uh, taking over Zerangutang's job. How does, <laughs> how does he feel about that? Actually, he kind of helped me out and gave me a little bit of advice when I first started out uh, doing, a, I did Thorn, uh, Thorn's redesign for the NWSL team in Portland. And they uh, gave me a little bit of advice and helped me out with it, so it was awesome. So what uh, what inspired you to do the jersey redesigns? Boredom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
basically, uh, he helped me. Uh, he just showed me some simple templates, and uh, I took them and ran with them and thought it would be a good idea to get some uh, traffic going for, uh, for our own little small subreddit. So I'm, and then I just ended up enjoying it a lot. So <laughs> yeah, actually, I really like the the Railhawks one, um, especially the one with the sort of diamond wavy. The thing. Argyle. Yeah, it, it it's it reminds of the Argyle, which I I think there would there might be some complaints from like Duke and State fans because Argyle reminds them of Carolina, but whatever they can. That wasn't my intention. It was just a it was a cool design and. I went Charlie Brown with it, I guess, and changed the colors yeah. up a little bit. And... It, it looks cool. So talk nice. about how uh, RNFL Soccer's developed over the last year or so. I, I remember a year ago it wasn't that well attended, and you guys have built it up pretty well over the last year. Um, well, I started out, like I said earlier, when there was only six people, I, uh, I messaged. I was writing at the time for Reckless Challenged, and uh, they just covered NASL, USL, different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, they said, we need to really develop some of these subreddits. So I hopped on the NASL one. I'm a Scorpions uh, fan, a San Antonio Scorpions fan. So I figured, I like the NASL. Let's try it. And so uh, we started to develop it, and he accepted me as a mod. And I I'd learned CSS, like, barely on the fly, basically. And uh, I used some Photoshop skills to make a nice header and things like that. Without It was all Photoshop header, every, everything like that. I figured out Flare, which took me a month to figure out, and slowly we started to grow. And then I think the last time, and I, I didn't get a lot of time to, to update the header images or anything like that, uh, which what I was doing was the top image was was where it has, if you look on RMLS, uh, you could see that it has text saying, you know, a new announcement or things like that. I had my entire header image was that. It, uh, and so I always just updated it that way. It was all one big image instead of multiple layers. And so I switched it out that way, and I left it. Uh, I remember it says Indy 11 gets, or Indianapolis gets its identity as Indy 11. I left that for a couple of months because I had no time to go on and do things like that. I had computer problems. And so someone, yeah. I don't remember exactly what happened. People complained about it, and uh, the Monjour, uh volunteered. And... Uh, said, you know, I'm willing to help, and uh, after a little bit of time after that, I was able to be more consistent, and me and him have been basically heading it up and doing our best to keep it updated. And then Soccer Bowl was coming up, and I messaged the mods and said, hey, let's get something going for Soccer Bowl Saturday. Let's see if we can get something where a lot of people will come, just a bunch of AMAs, and we got uh, we got quite a bit of people. We got uh, Scorpion's PR director, we got, it's going to kill me, we got uh, Wes, and I can't remember his name, but uh, two guys from the Denord show in Minneapolis, yeah. or in Minnesota. Um, we got heads of, uh, Zach Reese, the head of uh, Flight 19, which is Fort Lauderdale Strikers supporter group. So we got a mm-hmm. bunch of different people to do AMAs and, you know, a- answer questions for us, and it was a huge success, followed by a big game thread that you know, it was just it was just an awesome chance, and that really grew our uh, our subreddit to 500 actually, um, and now we're sitting at 715, 717. Yeah. And this is the off season, so we've grown quite a bit on the off season. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So, uh, any big plans for the subreddit this year? Maybe we've been we've been trying and having constant talks with uh, with Peterson with the commissioner. We're trying to schedule it out. He's a busy man. 
uh, there's a lot of times where uh, we're just we're sending messages back and forth, and we'll lose them for a couple of weeks, but we're trying to get something. Like an AMA type deal? Yeah, uh, that's a, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Um, other than that, we're just being more consistent. That's basically the plans is just try to get some more AMAs and you know get more people excited about it. As we grow, we'll we'll you know develop the subreddit better. That's fair. So, how do you feel about the NASL in in general? I I know there are a lot of people who are a little bit upset, myself included, as a Carolina fan who saw my team go score the most points last year and not get to do anything in the postseason. Uh, how do you feel about the NASL and the split season schedule? It's about to go nine games and 18 games. What, what's your opinion on that? Well, first of all, I think we can all blame Virginia for that, uh, <laughs> for yeah. the nine games, because it was originally supposed to be everyone plays 10 games, which is a good even number. Everyone has same number of home and away games, but now you have some with five and some with four on yeah. the road, you know? So uh, it's a little bit of an unfair advantage. And to top that off, whoever wins that nine-game season is the host of the Soccer Bowl. Right. Which is even worse um, of an advantage. But, I mean, I feel for Carolina. I really do. <laughs> uh, the Scorpions, in fact, they were second. They they tied for second in, yeah. uh, in the fall season after having a terrible start. And uh, I and then that month off just killed them, I think. It, it killed, you know, their energy. They were they were flying by teams that were coming back having late goals. I think they won three of their last four games with goals in the 87th minute on. You know, it killed it kills teams when you play half a season. I'm sure it works in other places. I believe Mexico and Argentina play that way, but you know, that month break just kills teams. Well, and, and the uh, thing, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about Mexico is. Setup is weird. Their relegation system is really, really weird. Um, but they have it so that there's like an eight-game playoff at the end of each half season, and the NASL isn't going to do that probably. Uh, it, it it makes it tough. It it was sort of weird that transition that transition from like almost everybody makes it to the playoffs to there are two teams in the title game and that's it. Well, the rumor is is it was just basically set up so that the Cosmos could come in late. That's what a lot of people think. I'm not Cosmos bashing or anything, but it happened. It just happened to happen that way. The Cosmos were able to come in mid-season and so that they could keep their Division two sanctioning. Right. Um, because they needed a certain amount of teams. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but as the, as the, as the league progressed, as far as age-wise, they needed a certain amount of teams um, for expansion, which is why you see... Uh, why you're seeing... Ottawa and Indianapolis coming in this year, right? Um, which Indianapolis is going to be awesome soon. Trust me. <laughs> I'm hoping to go down to their uh, their first game. They get to play Carolina. I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, I, oh man, I would be too. They they're going to be competing with New York for the championship this season. I I, I believe it. That that'd be nice. I I wouldn't mind just as long as well, as a Carolina fan. I'm not a big fan of Atlanta, and I went to. I went to last year the Cosmos game at home where Cosmos beat us for nothing and basically ended our title hopes. And it was really depressing because I was the only Carolina guy there. But oh well. <laughs> um, so I see we've been to a lot of Scorpions games, or at least a, a few, and those look really interesting. The The organization is really cool. It's like a non-profit type deal. What, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm actually a capo for the Crocketeers, the head capo. And so uh, I'll lead all the chants and different things like that. 
Um, and I've been involved with the Scorpions for quite some time as far as, like, when they announced the team, that's when, like, I was there when they announced. I've been at most of the press conferences. I've been to the town hall meetings. been to the games. I've been to the preseason games. Their first preseason game was, like, 23 degrees and raining. And uh, and they postponed it to the next morning, which was even colder that morning. And I was there, you know, with about 20 other guys freezing our butts off because that's cold for us in Texas. Right. Um, uh, you know, enchanting. But And I have a lot of friends that are in the front office. But they're, what they do is... They have soccer for a cause, and the owner is Gordon Hartman. He has a special needs daughter, and he owns and runs the uh, – he created the only, I guess, amusement park for special needs individuals. Um, and it's a really awesome – it's a really awesome cause. These scorpions keep 0% of the profits. They made something like six, $670,000 last season um, mm-hmm. as far as profits that went and all of it went towards uh, Soccer for a Cause, which is Morgan's Wonderland um, and different uh, organizations. Like they have a Monarch Academy is a special needs school at the uh, amusement park. And so all of the profits go towards that. Um, the only problem with that is a lot of fans think they're not spending, they're, they're not going to spend money on players um, because they want to you know, make a profit on it. But I don't think that's the case. Um, I'm on the side that they're willing to spend the money for the players. As you can see, they've brought in big-name players this season. Right. Uh, they just brought in Psycho. They just brought in uh, uh, Restrepo, which made national right. headlines. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's a good cause. And the people the people working there, um, I, have, uh, I have four or five of uh, people that play on my indoor soccer team work in the front office or have worked in the front office. And awesome. uh, they're all on board. They're all on board for this, uh, for soccer for a cause. They're all on board for the cause and for, you know, the reasoning behind the team. They love the team and they love the cause. So makes me like them even more, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely one of the, the cooler stories that not a whole lot of people, I feel like, in the American soccer circles really think about or know about. So talking, like, about five years from now, San Antonio's probably right now the most – and like if somebody had to go to MLS right now from the lower league, San Antonio would probably be the most ready. They've got the stadium in place. You guys have got the fan support. Do you think that that model, that soccer for a cause thing, is going to be sustainable? Is going to be viable up to the highest level in MLS? I'll be I'll be honest with you. I do not think that with the money that we have right now that Gordon Hartman has, I do not think that he will be able to make. Um, make it to the MLS. I don't think he could afford the franchise fee. Um, but uh, this is just my thought process on what they could do is uh, the Scorpions and Spurs Sports and Entertainment could partner together um, and find some middle ground where profits do go to... Um, because Gordon Hartman wants the profits to go to Morgan's Wonderland. That's why the team was created, so um, basically. And they could work out a partnership where Profits still go to Morgan's Wonderland, but also the Spurs get profits as well um, from the team. And I think the, they need investors if they would like to move to MLS. However, and they just announced it to get today, not really announced it, so uh, I can't remember who tweeted it, the San Antonio is holding Mexico versus South Korea coming up, uh, international game um, at the Alamo Dome. And, uh, and, uh, mayor, our mayor, uh, the San Antonio mayor, 
is meeting with uh, Don Garber. Don Garber is going to come down and enjoy the game, and we already have something like 44,000 tickets sold. Wow. So, uh, so hopefully that'll be a positive. I don't know if that they're talking to MLS. I know he's written a letter to MLS um, saying, you know, I'd like to meet up sometime, have some lunch, and talk, you know, talk about the future, having MLS in San Antonio. But I don't know. Um, I don't think right now with that, with what they're doing, I don't think they'll make it to MLS um, unless they have more investors. Right. And you got to figure American soccer, and this is my personal bias, but I feel like American soccer is the, the thing that people like to invest in these days, all those rich people with Heinemann and, and uh, Yale's owner, um, Paulson and the Pooh guy. It's a it's a it's a growing investment thing. So uh, another thing I want to talk to you about. Um, you have you're like one of the very few people I've noticed on the subreddit who has familiarity with the Charlotte situation, and that's sort of near and dear to my heart. Coming from North Carolina, um, they just relinquished or are planning to relinquish their USL Pro rights to the Hounds ownership, and who are looking to actually go to MLS. Yeah. So what, how do you feel about that? Well, some background on why I like Charlotte. Uh, two things. I'm actually a, a licensed minister. Um, not a lot of people realize that. Um, and I just liked I when the way I heard about what Charlotte um, was is if a lot of people don't realize is that they that their ownership um, basically treat it like a ministry um, mm -hmm. where their players are expected. Um, they're actually a nonprofit organization. Not a lot of people know that. Um, their uh, but their team is treated like a ministry, and if you're not up to the certain standards, and a lot of people don't like that, if you're not up to these certain religious standards, and they don't want you on the team. Um, and I'm, I, I mean, I like it's a cool idea, but um, I'm glad they're being sold. Um, a former player for the Scorpions, uh, Matt Gold, played for them last season, and that's kind of my connection to the team. Um, he's the one that kind of explained to me what, what was going on with the team. I think it's interesting. Uh, the Hounds ownership group bought them, and what they're going to do is they're going to play another season in USL, and they're going to drop to the PDL for 2015. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to get their organization straight, probably rebrand, re you know, basic, and they're, they're going to move to Memorial Stadium because right now they're playing in the Queen Sports uh, Complex. Right. Um, and they're going to play another season there, and then they're going to move to Memorial Stadium. And uh, basically, you know, shoot for MLS. They're going to completely change things. I think taking away the faith-based organizational part of it, where they don't sell beer and where I'm not sure if they actually have a supporters group because it's probably going to be kind of hard to do that with, Yeah. you know. <laughs> it's hard to hassle refs when, you know, no. it's supposed to be a good example. Right. Uh, um, I think that the, com that the change in ownership will change the mentality of the club and It'll be completely different from the Charlotte uh, Eagles that you see now. It's going to be a yeah, positive change for USL. And I've looked up the the various places. I've I've been around Charlotte a few times, and Memorial Stadium is right next to that corridor, that right next to Uptown, where the Bobcats Arena and the Panthers Stadium are, and where all the rich people live. That you know would spend their money on on Charlotte on a Charlotte MLS team. So I think that's a really great location. Um, oh yeah, and plus you got lacrosse there too. <laughs> yeah, so that you know that might end up working out. Um, I I'm still hoping some investor comes and buys the Red Hawks away and and makes that a real competition. But we'll see what happens. I 
it's a good setup, it seems like, for Charlotte. And I do think... I do think there's certainly a place for that that faith-based organization, but with the way USL Pro is going, that might not be, you know, the the financial level where they need to be. So. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. I hope I hope that you know Charlotte actually begins to attract that soccer, but I hope San Antonio gets a team first. Right. <laughs> right. The only reason I hope San Antonio, I'm kind of divided on that though, because I want I want San Antonio to be the shining star in the NASL. Kind of like the Cosmos are, are kind of being, but at the same and and I don't want you know I'm going to be a Timbers fan through and through you know yeah I've been watching Timbers since 2009 you know I'm a fan of them I love them yeah most people can't see me right now but I have a scarf wall behind me that has yeah, 30 yeah. plus Timbers scarves <laughs> literally every single Portland Timber scarf that's been made in history behind him right now well <laughs> except for front office scarves no <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, like, I love the club, and uh, I love, you know, the fans, and I love traveling to away days. And But I'll still go to the Scorpions games. I'll still go to San Antonio games. I'll be a season ticket holder, but when Timbers come to town, you know, I'll switch sides. <laughs> for sure. Um, thank you for joining us, uh, Aaron Flynn, you, Timber Flynn. Um, check his redesigns out, RNASL Soccer. Check out the subreddit, too. Uh, NASL is doing some cool things if... Maybe they're making some silly logistical sillies. Well, they'll they'll figure this out. They're they're a learning and growing league, and uh, they're key to American soccer's development. So, thank you for your time. Thanks, man. Anytime. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Username Timber Flynn. Aaron Flynn at Aaron Flynn. Follow him if you'd like. Uh, uh, so, we're almost done. Anything else you guys want to talk about? I think we're ready for predictions, huh? Yeah. That's oh right. my god, yeah, we need a crazy prediction. Oh, oh crap. Oh, on the fly. Since I'm the guest host today, I don't have to go first, so I'm going to make Dennis go first. Oh, <laughs> um, since you've just informed me about uh, these predictions in the last 15 seconds, I will say uh, Vancouver will win their first match against New England. Wow. It's, we're going to have to wait a long time for that. That's the only thing I had in front of me that I could kind of make a prediction off of. Cause... All right. <laughs> I'm sticking with it, though. 2 nothing. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to go, and it's going to be that Merritt Paulson is going to say something. At, he's going to say something insane that he regrets and deletes this week. I don't, I don't know how – that doesn't sound very bulged there, Josh. Look, man, I'm, t- you know, I'm trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying, okay? At least my thing is going to happen this week. Dennis is Okay, I got one for this week. I just thought of one. We're going to see a okay. picture of an MLS player at the Olympics at the opening ceremony. Let's narrow it down. Great. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, <clears throat> interesting, interesting. All right, Pete. Boy, uh, so we need them imminent. Uh, I had a nice, I had a nice long season prediction. I don't think I'll, I'll bust that out yet. Um, let's see. I will predict that. I'll predict that we don't get a real announcement on Wednesday about Miami. Ooh. That we get that we get a partial announcement that either uh, negotiations have been extended or that uh, maybe we found some land but we're not quite ready to talk about it. But I'll say that we don't get the official announcement on Wednesday. Hmm. I like that. Well, that cool. is really bold because they're calling it a major announcement and Don Garber's going to be there. And mm-hmm. all right, all right. Um, well, uh, I guess it's my turn. I predict 
something about Ooh. Eddie Johnson doing something. I don't know, guys. Yeah. Wow, you really. I don't have anything. If you uh, want to jump, I, if you want to jump I, into I bold, you know, beginning of the season stuff, I'm ready. Let's talk that. Oh, I, you guys didn't even. I just, just make something up. I just, I had no idea. Oh, you no know thanks. what? I, yeah. Whatever. I'm, I'll make up that. Uh, we're gonna beat Toronto in th- two days. DC United is. And I'm gonna go nanner nanner on the podcast next week as a result. And. There's my I'm going to predict crying. that I don't get caught by my boss watching the 11 a.m. Pacific Wednesday Sounders pregame. That I successfully watched that whole game without being uh, found out. My bold prediction is that a couple of MLS fans are going to get fired this week from their jobs for watching <laughs> streams on the <laughs> So on that positive note, uh, that will be it for this week. Slash MLS... February 3rd, the week of. Uh, everybody have a good day. We'll see you next week, and hopefully Chris will be here to host and do a lot better job than I just did. Oh, so You're good. self-deprecating. All right. Well, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye. Right. Have a good one.